Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as host of Pocket for At Good Game TV, created at The Roast TV. Critics describe the 29-year-old as pathetically childish for a man in his late 30s. Humans of Twitter is their stories, in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Nick Richardson. Thank you very much, Stephen Malk, as I live and breathe. Look, please and thank you. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Uh, in social settings, I generally don't speak yes, to anybody. Uh, I am an awkward human being to be around, and I will avoid all eye contact. But if you had to talk to me, I would blush and charmingly say, oh, my name's Nick. <laughs> and how does that go down with the assembled throng? Well, the uh, it's it's generally they expect a bit more. Like if they know what I've done for a living for the past sort of 10 years of my life, then they're expecting me to be a little more uh, <laughs> verbose and and, uh, and and sort of courageous. Uh, but if eventually you get used to me and you just uh, don't talk to me. But sure, look, I, I've been able to talk to you in social settings and you're a very charming and engaging man. Please, please. Thank you very much. So all jokes aside... When you do have those moments when you're out and meeting new people, are you the kind of guy that seriously will go, I need to melt into the background and not be seen? Or are you someone, you strike me as the kind of guy that's a bit out there. Um, I mean, I think the truth is it's kind of like there's two Nicks. There's kind of the, the, Mm -hmm. the, not the real Nick, but the sort of more internal Nick. So uh, that's the one that is, I, I do tend to get sort of overwhelmed around a lot of people and new social environments kind of freak me out a bit. So it does take me a while to sort of feel feel my way around that situation and get into it. But if I'm meeting people who, uh, you know, watch any of the shows that I do or something, then I kind of slip sure. into character a bit more. And when I'm in character, yeah. then it's, it's way easier to just talk. You would think that the sensible thing, therefore, is to just be in character throughout life. And therefore, I would never have any problems. <laughs> you would think that, but that's yeah. clearly not what happens for you. No, I'm not the Paul Giamatti of my time, able to just slip into the skin of, of being a character actor my entire life. But uh, yeah, in character, I, I, I'm definitely way more comfortable sort of in social environments, talking to people, meeting strangers. I think I think because I uh, this sounds this sounds this may sound weird. It's kind of like holding court at that point. Like if they know who I am, mm. then there's, I go, Oh, I, I know what your expectation of me is. So therefore I can completely navigate this scenario. But if you don't know who I am, I'm really worried that like, you'll think I'm annoying or you'll think I'm weird or something like that. So like, it takes me a while to figure out what you think of me. Even now I'm rambling because I'm nervous <laughs> because I'm kind of like, Oh, like exposing this side of me. In In the context though, it's, it's an interesting business that you then work in, in this whole television shambles, because mm. I think there is an expectation on you that you will be somewhat of an intro- extrovert, especially when the red light goes on and it's your turn to talk. Yeah. And particularly, like I sort of transitioned from, I, I, I was a writer first and I, and I wrote a few things and, and got some shows up that way. And then, um, and then I got the roast up and that was something that I was sort of running, but then also we went, Oh, it feels like we need another performer here. And out of everyone who wasn't already on camera, I was the one who was 
who was probably most likely to be able to do it. So then I started doing that and it was very uncomfortable at first. And then, and then I found, I found my footing sort of uh, on that show. And then definitely by the second year, I was incredibly comfortable on camera. And then I've transitioned now to the main show that I do on Good Game Pocket. There's never a script and it is just me making it up as I go along and talking. And so it's this, it is a bit of a weird thing to go offer someone who gets nervous in social situations to not only be on camera, but to be on camera, making it up all the time and constantly like yeah. sort of flying by the city of your pants. But uh, I, yeah, I guess I think of it like there, there is, there's a character that I play and it's, and it's, and it's not dishonest. It's half of me. Like it's half of me. It's the half of me that I wish I was all the time. And I think there's just some weird thing where you go, the light turns on and I can slip into that and I can go, well, whatever you think of this, you're just judging the character. You're not judging the person. You go, oh God, that guy's annoying. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm just annoying on camera. It's fine. <laughs> like I'm not annoying in real life. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is a weird industry to sort of find myself in. But I find a lot of people who I work with are actually like that. Like a lot of us are kind of quite shy and, and need a lot of time alone to sort of, for me at least, get the energy to then go out and, and perform. Sure. You, you've been really lucky in that the last two things that we've seen you on TV uh, with uh, in the, the roast and now Good Game slash Good Game Pocket, uh, things that you're pretty interested in and you yes. don't have to pretend any of the enthusiasm part. Yes. Heaven forbid I ever get cast on something that I aren't, didn't either create or am passionately involved in because I'll need to, I'll need to figure out how to act. Uh, <laughs> with the roast, politics was something that I, I am interested in, have always been interested in, have always been passionate about. And also uh, it was this, it was, it was that show was half. If you haven't watched it, the show was a political satire, uh, sort of fake news show or, uh, or news show about the news. It wasn't about fake news like The Onion, but uh, half of it was about the news. But then the other half was about weird worlds that we created each episode, and and that really tickled the sort of absurdist, uh, kind of weird alternative comedy, I guess, uh, side of me. And then, but yes. then, anytime I wasn't doing that all I was doing was playing mm. video games. And so then the transition into good game was like, Oh, okay. This show got, my last show got canceled. That was awful. But now I'm going to go play video games for a living. I'm sorry. The 29 people who I worked with. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Don't let uh, someone else turn the lights off. I've got to go and do a lot of gaming. Yeah, exactly. Was it a difficult thing for you to, to wrap up the roast, given how invested you were in creating it? Uh, yes. I mean, inherently, anytime, anytime something stops, not due to anything, you know, not, not your decision is, is a difficult time. But I think that it also, it hit us pretty hard, but also we went, I can't believe we got away with it for this long. There was a real, um, there was a, and, and not to say that the show wasn't bad. There were definitely episodes that were terrible. There was definitely like, we were, we were making so much up as we were going. We were learning so much as we were going, but we were also, yeah. we we're on the ABC, but we were not working at the ABC. We worked in a, in a literal garage in Waterloo. Yes. Uh, the, the, the set sat on top of one of those, um, 
when you take your car to a mechanic and you drive it on the turntable and it turns around so then they can drive it back out. The set was built on top of one of those. There was, I mean, it, it broke all sorts of fire laws, I'm sure. There was there was animals in the building somewhere. Like it was it was a real sort of sticky tape situation. But uh, but they just kind of let us do it for a while. So even though, even though by the time it ended, we went, oh, I feel like we were kind of hitting our stride. It was also, well, we did get sort of, I mean, essentially three years out of this, which is amazing. Uh, and and then we were upset. But then I I think I was probably the first one to actually, out of out of out of particularly the writers, because a lot of them hadn't worked in TV before. In fact, in fact pretty much none of them had worked in TV before. Uh, I think I was the first one to let it go and to be at peace with it because I it was a huge amount of work for me. I was exhausted, but also I just went, I, I feel like we were lucky to just have the opportunity in the first place. And because it's canceled, it now has cult status. So you can never take that away from me. (laughs) Look, I will offer that. I uh, was a massive fan of the roast. I thought you guys did such a great job. The amount of content that you pumped out like every week, every day or four days a week, it was all new. And then there was the, like the the review episode on the Fridays for what had gone before. Yeah. And even then that needed links written. So it was still somebody working pretty hard to make all of it go together. It was so fun. It was very clear that you guys, and I got to know some of you in the background as well. So yeah. I got to put some uh, faces to names and, and a little bit of personality to, to seeing the writing come through. Uh, it was such a great achievement and a shame. I understand things get lives for, you know, finite periods of times, but such a shame that that, or at least that collective had to end. But I guess the flip side is have a look at what some of you guys have gone on to. It's pretty amazing in itself. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like uh, it's, there there was a great mix. I mean, there were kind of, there was a separation on the cast, uh, sorry, with all the crew. There was kind of a separation between adults who worked in television for a living and children who I hired who had no idea what they were doing. I count myself as a child. Um, and so most of the crew were people who had worked on other shows and continue to work in television. And a lot of them are, um, you know, pretty much all of them have gone on to just work on different shows and they're all amazingly talented people. So Nick, in the midst of all this craziness, where do you find your peace? I need a lot of alone time. I need a lot of sort of downtime uh, for myself, either alone or, you know, with my girlfriend or, or, or someone who I'm close to. I just, I just need a lot of sort of zone out time. So TV, movies, reading, but it's mainly been video games my entire life have been the thing that I've sort of sought solace in. It's something that I can do by myself or I can do with other people if I choose. And I I can just I can focus on something. I think that's the important thing. I like to be able to focus on one thing rather than thinking about a million things at once. So that's what games kind of always allowed me to do. The weird thing now, obviously, is that games are what I do for a living as well. So the thing that previously zenned me out is now also the thing that stresses me out when something goes <laughs> wrong at work. So, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of find that balance between those. Given that you're now officially a paid gaming expert... Yes. I have a question in two parts. Sure. Part one, what game would you recommend to someone who has probably never really even dabbled? They might have seen things happen or they've noticed people playing something on their phone or or iPad or that sort of thing. What would you recommend to them? Mm -hmm. And what would you recommend as something for people to look out for or to dip their toe into if they're someone that enjoys gaming and wants to look for the next thing? 
Well, I mean, this is interesting because I was having this conversation uh, with my producer, Pete, a, a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about what it would be like to start playing games in 2016 really for the first time. And uh, and a lot of that would be fantastic because there's more choice now than ever really. But also I would say 70% of games are 3D worlds where you need to control both your character and your head. So you need to move in one direction and be able to look around at the same time. And coming to that completely fresh would be utterly overwhelming. I know that like (laughs) you you see people play games for the first time and they're just spinning around looking at the sky because they go, I just can't, my hands can't do what I want my brain to be doing right now. So I would always go 2D, uh, something more simple for uh, Mm -hmm. for people like that. Uh, a game, a game that I would recommend to people is a game called Hearthstone, which is a, a new game from Blizzard, uh, who made World of Warcraft. Uh, it's a card game. It is a sort of uh, it's a collectible card game where you play against other people. It's incredibly simple to pick up and and learn, but also insanely deep. There's a huge amount of depth that you can get better and better at it. But it's also something that you're not going to be too overwhelmed at. Uh, or a game. Sure. Like this, and this would be this would open you up to you think you know what video games are. You think they're violent shoot 'em up sort of whatever or action games. Uh, you could play a game called Her Story, which came out last year, which is FMV. So it's it's a real person. It's filmed. It's a, they filmed a real person, and uh, you're in a computer. The the game is basically set inside a police computer, and you're interviewing this woman about something that happened. And the whole game is just a series of clips where you can play them. And then she says uh, she gives 15, 20 seconds worth of an interview. And then those clips unlock new ones. And you need to uncover the mystery of what she's talking about through watching these clips. It's unlike any other game you've played. And it can open you up to the idea of, you know, what games can be rather than just violent shooters. But to answer the second part of your question, I have a violent shooter as a recommendation. Uh, (laughs) There's there's a new game uh, that came out yesterday. It's called The Division. Uh, by Ubisoft, who made uh, mm. Assassin's Creed, which I, I figure most people have probably seen on the side of a bus. Uh, they have a varying track record with quality, but this game is a is is pitched as a big open world shooter where you wander around a, a sort of destroyed New York City, and it's basically a combination of an MMO and an action game. And I am super curious to see how they pull this off. They want they want this to be a game that they support for years. They want this to be a community that builds. It's an insanely ambitious game. It's probably one of the most ambitious games we've seen in the last couple of years, and we've heard about it for ages. It's finally out. So I, I'm, I've played a couple of hours and I've liked it. I'm, I'm really keen to see where it goes. Excellent. I am currently away in podcast timeland and am desperately looking forward to getting home and getting – Plants vs. Zombies 2, uh, yes. Garden Warfare 2, to play with my son. Yeah. Because we have played uh, the first one to death. So uh, I I am ashamed to say I have never played uh, the first one. But if I was to play a multiplayer shooter, it, it would absolutely be that. I think that that is such a charming world. The Sunflower seems completely OP, but I'm totally fine with that. Like the Sunflower <laughs> just seems to wreck. In fact, it, from my impression of what I've seen of the second game, it's kind of the same as the first where the, the plants are way more interesting to play than the zombies. Is that right? Yeah, I think there's strengths and benefits in both, but I, I find that there can be the most fun had when you play the plants. And I we downloaded the demo when it came out 
and and the beater and gave that a red hot rumble for the weekend. Mm. And there was some balance that needed to be applied, and I think they've done that now that it's come to release. Because at the time in the in the the playable beater, you could jump in, and there was like two classes that would just waste everybody. Yeah. So do you find that um like how do you find playing games with your son? How old's your son? He's ten, turning eleven. And so do you find that there's something like, is that a fun bonding thing for you guys to do? Is that something you were doing before or is it he got you into it? I've turned, I am the interviewer now, apparently. <laughs> well, well to, to quickly dive into this, he, I, I was a massive Halo fan. The right. only reason we've stayed Xbox uh, as opposed to PlayStation is because of Halo. So yeah. I have every iteration of the game that's been released. So when he got... Look, probably not quite old enough, but old enough that I thought he could handle it. I introduced him to it, and he's taken to it like a duck to water. Yeah, and to the point where he now slays me <laughs> in multiplayer. It's it's appalling. Yeah, I'm I'm both so out of practice, and he's both so consumed by it when he gets time to that he's allowed to play. Yeah, uh, it's so much fun because you you sit there and we'll sort of niggle each other, have a little bit of trash talk, but then if we do a co op uh, version of the game. Mm. It's, it's just watching the way he thinks in yeah. those worlds is incredible. Yeah, and and like you said, there's there's so much more. Uh, like I, I watch kids play games, and they they just grew up. They grew up just knowing that from the time yeah. that they started playing, like even just something you know on a, a phone or something. That you go, oh, you already know the vocabulary of this world, so yes. you uh, you are allowed to just get lost in in the world building. You don't have to think about what you're doing really. And it is I. I get wrecked by kids when my entire life is playing online and being humiliated at the hands of seven-year-olds. And it's, <laughs> and it's so it, like there's a part of me that goes, get those kids outside. But then there's more of a part of me that's like, this is, this is fantastic because they're, they're learning an entirely new language. Like when VR comes around, they're going to be yeah. so ready to just dive into that world uh, that so many of us are sort of a bit more nervous about. I would still be telling them to get those kids outside so that I still had a chance to, to exactly yeah. yeah you and I you and I need a couple of wins yeah the kids punk kids <laughs> are you Nick right now hmm. are you doing what Nick in year eleven thought that you would be doing uh yeah well actually no because me in year eleven did not expect to be on camera. That I I expected to be behind the camera most of the time. Uh, so sure. so there's an element, yes, that I'm doing I'm doing TV, which is what I wanted to do. Uh, I'm interested in doing film. I, I was probably more interested in doing film when I was in high school, and then I went, oh, there's actually more stories to be told in television. I think you know, as everyone's said over the last ten years or so, we're in a golden age of TV right now, and it's really yes. a storyteller's medium. But then I, I never really saw myself in front of the camera. But then it's weird that I, I saw myself as doing narrative drama or comedy. And what I've ended up doing is the last five years of my life, I have barely made a show that did not go to air the day we shot it. Like everything I do uh, over the last five years somehow has been so current and so um, <laughs> sort of just like fly by the seat of our pants and I actually completely thrive off that and I'm, I'm still really interested in doing more long-term long-form narrative stuff and I've got some things in the works 
along those lines. But I think that also television is shifting, particularly the stuff that I'm doing with, you know, with games, half of the time I spend playing games at work, I'm playing online on a camera streaming on Twitch, uh, which yes. for, for those of you listening who don't know, Twitch is basically like live YouTube, but you only play video games. And so <laughs> it's it, so weird and so great. Yeah. And I mean, I, if I'm not on there, I'm watching people play games. And to me, I go, oh, if I was in high school right now, beyond a few TV shows uh, that are on right now, this would actually be my television. This is the thing that I'm interested in. So yep. I think that me in year 11 wanted to work in the TV that existed when I was in year 11 back in 2003. And in 2016, I'm, I'm actually kind of making the TV that teenagers watch now in a weird way, which is YouTube and mm. Twitch and that sort of thing. So I'm doing the thing I wanted to do. It's just not in the way that I, I thought that we would be doing it. Well, in, in the differential between Nick now to Nick year 11, there's enough time that the iterations of how technology has changed would represent that differential, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, that um, it, it only goes faster and faster as well. It's it, it's it's only been a few years since Twitch became a thing, and it's already an enormous thing, which is pretty much where all video games are played. So once something like VR comes along and, and the games industry moves into that world, then I. I don't know where we're headed there. And and it, the more it becomes, it becomes almost, I mean, it's almost a thing that science fiction is worried about, right? Like that people lose themselves entirely in this second world. But there is so much content there, uh, like about video games that, that you can, you could spend all your entertainment time focused on this one thing, which isn't necessarily healthy, I guess. Uh, thankfully, I enjoy other forms of entertainment and, and, and occasionally going outside. But, uh, but it is it is amazing to see how quickly new entirely new platforms can develop and just and just start thriving. My son and daughter, nearly eleven and nearly nine respectively, when they get free time on their iPads, have more than discovered YouTube. They they kind of knew it was there, mm. but they've now the most of their time when they have those free opportunities, they'll watch playthroughs. Yeah, or absolutely. Particularly Minecraft videos. I, I mean, here, here's the thing, right? Like, I, I am, I'm about to turn thirty, so I'm still clinging to t- my twenties, and yes. I would consider myself a relatively young person. But I would absolutely consider myself someone who is entirely young at heart. I am. I love. I love the things that I loved when I was a, a child. I still love them, and I love sharing them with other people. I am so switched on in the game community. I'm so switched on when it comes to new technology and I am so out of my comfort zone when it comes to Minecraft and I meet (laughs) kids. We were, we were at a birthday party a couple of weeks ago and there were a bunch of kids there. They all watch good games. So they were all super excited to meet me. And I was like, this is fantastic because I don't need to be upstairs with the adults. I can hang downstairs and we're just hanging out and talking video games. 90% 90% of the time we were talking about Minecraft and they were asking me like, how do I make this kind of table? What happens if I dig down here? Do you know what's happening with the new combat patch? And I was like, I barely know what you're talking about. Like this is like, not only, not only is, do I not, not only is Minecraft a game that, you know, I've played, but I, I don't really return to that much. It's an entire platform 
unto itself. It's kids. Yes. It is a world that kids are in that, and, and I know about video games. So I can't imagine what it's like to be a, a parent who knows nothing about video games for their child to turn around and talk to them about things they've done in Minecraft. I would be so confused. Uh, yeah, it's, it's insane. It's, it's really a phenomena and I am overwhelmed by it at times. It's, it's completely crazy. Yeah. It's, it's weird to feel that like we're old because that's exactly the reaction like I would have expected my parents to have and that I, yeah. I clinging to my 20s, I'm going, I'm scared of having conversations with children about Minecraft because it makes me feel ancient. I'm on the good side of 40, Nick, and I like to think that I'm fairly tech savvy. I work in IT. I enjoy gaming on, on the side and those sorts of things as we've talked about. When it comes to Minecraft, I just watch them and how passionate they are in both building their worlds and living in their worlds. My son wants to play different variants of uh, of Minecraft, whether it's building challenges or running around yeah. shooting people challenges or whatever. They're just so consumed by this. And I not, – not in a bad way, but just in a way that like given the opportunity, they want to play Minecraft because they get it. Yeah. And I've played a few times with them and look, I could take it or leave it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like I go, oh, yeah, I, I totally see what you're doing here. I, I see the appeal. I tend to not – I'm not really drawn to games where I need to create my own fun. I like more directed experiences. I love narrative experiences in games, whereas Minecraft is purely like go out there and, and figure yes. out what you want to do for yourself. I guess if you had to get lost – if we had to sacrifice all of our children to a video game, which is currently what is happening, uh, Minecraft is probably one of the better ones because it's at least ticking creative sides of their brain. They are building yes. things. Like it's an active game. It's not a passive game. Uh, they even teach in schools. They, there's an educational edition of Minecraft that is used to teach things like physics uh, that, that Microsoft sell to schools so and they use it They use it as a teaching tool because they already know that kids, again, it comes back to that thing we were talking about before, kids know the vocabulary. So that's just, that's it's easier to teach them things in a tool set that they already are familiar with. It's amazing. It really is amazing. Nick, what is the biggest thing to have happened to you? Biggest thing to have happened to me, um, it it would it would actually be, uh, okay. So I'm going to tell a terrible story, and I'm sure, and and I don't want everyone to judge me, but it would be when I moved to Sydney, I um, I was looking for a job, and I just signed up to a recruitment agency because I was like, I'm 18. The temp work money is good. It's like $40 an hour. It's sort of casual work so I can still do other things. Uh, and they placed me in a couple of places. And then one day I was, I was shopping and I was in David Jones. So I don't know why I was shopping because I wasn't a 40-year-old woman. Um, but I, 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 like David Jones is not a place that I usually find myself. Um, but I was wearing a Tommy Hilfiger shirt and I was walking through the menswear department and this guy stopped me and went, nice shirt. And I said, thank you very much. And then for some reason I said, it's Tommy Hilfiger. And he said, <laughs> I know I work for Tommy Hilfiger. I was like, oh, interesting. And then we got talking. By the end of the conversation, he had offered me a job managing the Tommy Hilfiger store in Chatswood. This, I'm 18 years old. My only qualifications what? is I own the shirt. I figured that like, I figured he must have been so impressed with my 
almost idiot savant ability to name drop a brand to a total stranger. Um, so he, he, he hired me and I was like, okay, cool. So this is my job now. So then I'm going to work on the first day wearing the same shirt that I wore before because it's the only Tommy Hilfiger thing I've ever owned in my entire life. Because again, I'm not a 45-year-old American who owns a yacht. Um, and I'm on the train heading to Chatswood and I get a phone call and it's the recruitment agency and the woman, uh, my recruiting agent went, look, you mentioned that you wanted to work in TV. I have a six week placement at the ABC. And I was like, what? Oh, seriously doing what? And she was like, it's a, it's a terrible job. Like it's just getting coffee and stuff. You're just an assistant to a producer. I was like, no, no, that's the train. That's how everyone makes it in Hollywood. Like it's either fuck a director. <laughs> Sorry, can I say fuck? It's either bang a director or like become a producer's assistant. Um, and so and so I went, oh, that's exactly what I want to do. And and she goes, the only problem is it starts today. And I went, oh, I'm like I'm currently on my way to my first real job in Sydney. And she goes, okay, well, like let me know what you want to do. And I said, I'll call you back in a couple of minutes. And I sat on the train and I was thinking about it. And I got to Chatswood and I hopped off and I stood at the train station and I thought for a couple of minutes, I was like, Tommy Hilfiger job or just like run coffee for six weeks for a producer. And I was like, I know what I need to do, but also I feel so bad for the Tommy Hilfiger guy. I need to figure out how to get out of this job in the goddamn shirt that I'm wearing right now. And so I called him up and this is the terrible part of the story. I called him up and I said, hi, like Steve or whatever his name was. Look, I know today is my first day, but I just found out that my mum has leukemia and I need oh, to go Nick. and I need to go home to Armadale. And it was like and and he couldn't say anything. Like I picked it because it's the worst it's the it's one of the worst things you could possibly say to someone. And so there was nothing he couldn't be angry at me. He could not be angry at me. I'm a stupid eighteen year old who didn't know what he was doing. And he was like I am so sorry. You do what you need to. And I was like, thank you very much. And then I just hung up the phone, walked to the other side of the platform, hopped on a train and went to the ABC. So that was probably the biggest moment in my life in terms of like a defining career, like shifting moment. And it was also probably the worst thing I've ever done. Oh, wow. That's the original sliding doors. The original Sophie's <laughs> Choice. I hope he's listening right now as well, because you know, like ten years later he finds out about that lie. <laughs> oh god! Look, for yeah. all we know, he probably hired someone that took the the, the the store from strength to strength. Oh, absolutely! He hired someone who wasn't an eighteen-year-old who awkwardly <laughs> named brands that he was wearing. Heaven forbid, I wasn't wearing a Tommy Hilfiger shirt one day. It was like, oh, thanks, it's cotton on. Like, I can't be controlled. <laughs> I have, I had no retail skill whatsoever. Yeah, it was just. So you wouldn't have managed staff or anything at that. God, point. no, no. Like, I, I had, I had worked. Um, my my best job that I've ever had, and I stand by that it is the best job I've ever had, was I worked at Video Easy when I was a teenager, and uh, working in Video Shop, which is the greatest the greatest job I've ever had. I still wish I could go back and have it, uh, but it, that was the extent of like any business experience that I had, let alone ordering tens of thousands of dollars worth of clothes and managing staff and you know trying to 
fit old men into pants. Like none of that is world experience that I'd had. It was for the best. The lie was for the best, okay? I can hear all of you judging me. It all turned out well <laughs> for everyone involved. So who did you go and run coffee for at the ABC? So a guy called Marty Robertson. Um, he uh, is one of the EPs on The Chaser. And so mm. my f- – and so and, – uh, okay, here's another story about, like, how cushy that job was. Um, it, it's one of those classic sort of um, – I was hired to fill a role that could have been filled in two days, but I was hired for six weeks just in case something came up. And so my first job there was was like on taxpayer money was uh, I, I got him coffee and half the time he wouldn't even let me get, get him coffee because he would want a cigarette. So he would go outside himself. So I would just stay upstairs. The first two days, I, I marked the chapters on the latest season of Chase's War and Everything, the DVD. I did the yes. chapter in and out points. And I just, so it, that job for two days, I sat and I watched two seasons of the Chase's War and Everything and just marked in and out points at the end of every sketch. But other than that, I'm just watching television. <laughs> And it's like, surely there's someone here who is qualified to do this. Like, did the editor not just have a piece of... Like, the editor should have been doing this, surely. Uh, And so that's what I did for two days. Then that work ran out, but I still had five weeks and three days left on my contract. So I just sat there. And Marty was like, just look, just hang out with me and we'll just, you know, you can just sort of meet people and stuff. I spent half my time schmoozing uh, very awkwardly as an 18-year-old boy, like very uncomfortable. But sure. I, I think I charmed enough people that uh, they, some of them still remember me now. When I walk through the building, they're like, like I'm, I saw someone a couple of weeks ago who I hadn't seen in 10 years. And they were like, oh, my God, Nick. Oh, my God, you're so different. You're so much more confident in there, out there. But oh, you, were so, you were so cute back then. I was like, I'll, I'll take you. Um, but I, so I would spend half the time doing that. And the other half the time, it was before the... That's not bad to get from Tiki Fullerton, though. No, that's, that's great to get from Tiki Fullerton. Uh, and then the other half the time was, uh, I believe it was before the seventh Harry Potter book came out. So I spent most yes. of my time reading essays on theories of what would happen in the seventh Harry Potter book. Uh, there was a <laughs> website called, I think it was called The Potterverse. And it was just, it was people writing... 40,000 word essays on Harry Potter. And I was just fascinated by that. And then Marty, and then Marty would make me mix CDs of music that he believed I should be listening to. So that was my six week experience. <laughs> um, so, so I, so out of that, I got, I watched two seasons of the Chasers war and everything. And that was fun. I, uh, I, I appeared cute to, you know, potential future employers I, um, uh, I I learned a lot about Harry Potter and I listened to a lot of the Pixies. So that's, that's pretty much the entire six-week work experience. But out of that, after I left, I left and then went to uni uh, and, and Marty just kept my contacts and he knew, what I, he knew that I was interested in getting in TV. And then a year and a half later when I was at uni, uh, I got a phone call from him and he said, I'm doing some work with Charles Firth from uh, who at the time was just finishing up on the chaser. Uh, yes. He's studying a new project. I was wondering if you would be interested in coming in and doing some writing for it. And I went, yes, I am. And so then I did that for sort of six months and ended up dropping out of uni uh, and just, and working with Charles and we still work together to this day. So the, all of this, 
comes from my mother buying me a nice shirt before I moved to Sydney. Because my mum bought me a nice shirt, I am talking to you today. And that is not some sort of bullshit, like romanticized version. That is a literal turn, like a series of events that can all be chained together that bring us here. So you should really be interviewing my mum. Can you imagine the butterfly effect of going back in time and, and buying you country a road shirt? I know. Yeah. I know. It, my entire career would have changed. My entire, everything about my life would have changed. Yeah. Crazy. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Um, hopefully something significant. No. Um, in the next 12 months, well, uh, I did pocket all uh, most of last year and pocket yes. has become, you know, something of a success. And, uh, and in particular, uh, this year, Janet, who's the executive producer of Good Game, and, and Ben Shackelford, who is the amazing director of Good Game uh, and sort of like the series producer, decided that they wanted to shake up the Good Game formula a bit because it had been, the same, it had been yeah. the same format for a few years. And so they decided that they needed to react to basically the internet having doing a lot of the things that Good Game traditionally did. So uh, due to that, they started putting in first plays in uh, in this year's episodes. And so I'm doing the first plays there. There's a lot more conversational stuff. So I'm now involved in every episode of Good Game, which is fantastic uh, yeah. um, this year. But then I've also got, I've got a couple of other shows that I can't talk about, but I have been approached uh, by uh, or for. Um, and I am waiting to hear back on those. One of those I should hear about this month and one uh, in about another month's time. Uh, so uh, hopefully one of those will get picked up. And then I'm also working on uh, on another show with someone else uh, that is in sort of development stage at the moment. Uh, so, so that's happening as well. Uh, but then the thing that's happening very soon uh, for me work-wise is uh, I'm – this weekend I'm heading to San Francisco to go to GDC, which is the Game Developers Conference, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I'm going over there to meet a bunch of developers. We're making a half-hour special for Good Game that I'm hosting. Uh, and Great. I'm going to be over there sort of meeting people, going over with a bunch of Australian developers who, who for them as well, it's their first GDC. So we're all going to sort of experience it together and figure out what's going on. So, uh, yeah, I've got some cool stuff lined up and um, – uh, Right now, I'm just right now. I'm just letting it kind of happen to me. I spend a lot of years of my life trying to make things happen, and you know, to varying degrees of success. I've had shows that didn't get picked up, and I've had shows that got through development and didn't get picked up, and I've had shows that have been on TV and have been successful. Uh, and a lot of that was a huge amount of work to push those rocks up that hill. And right now, I'm currently going. Okay, well, it's much easier when you're in front of a camera. Because people go, oh, how about you be in front of this camera over here? And I go, okay, like I'm happy to go in front of that camera. They're all just cameras. <laughs> like it's like whether it's on this show or this show, like they're all just different cameras in different places. So this year is the year of me appearing on other people's cameras. Which makes for an excellent change in that, you know, you seem not as stressed about appearing on camera because of it. Yeah, it's, it's really it's really been quite freeing for me. And, um, and, and while I am looking forward to getting back to creating some of my own things from scratch out of my own brain, and, and, and I, I particularly like, I really love collaborating with people and I love, something I loved on The Roast was being able to help people 
achieve what they had in their brains. Like I, I, I ran the show, but, but part of the side effect of, of running a show like that in particular is that you, you don't necessarily always have control. You're just actually shepherding everything to make sure that it happens. So it's like, okay, well you're writing this and I know what you're writing and I've said that that's fine for you to write, but what comes out is what you were, you had in your head. And I'm, and I'm here to help you get that out. And I'm here to help the editor put it together in the way and the actors to give the performance that it needs and that sort of thing. Uh, but then I, I am currently enjoying being on the other side of that where someone is helping me find my voice and helping me feel more comfortable on camera and that sort of thing. And I've had a lot of people around me who are really encouraging and are really lovely. Uh, Pete, my producer on Good Game in particular, has been an incredible support, but also someone who uh, entertains who, who entertains as my flights of fancy when I want to go off on weird tangents, but then also <laughs> like also helps shepherd me towards a point occasionally. So, uh, yeah, so it's 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 been a nice change. Well, thank you, Nick. It has been lovely to chat with you for this uh, this episode of Humans of Twitter. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Thank you very much. I mean, I've been I've known you for a few years now, and I'm, I'm glad that we've been able to to talk on the internet for an hour finally. Yeah, I know. It's what the people have been wanting. It's what they've been screaming for. Uh, you do amazing work. If anyone should, if it, 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 have you had an episode of Humans of Twitter about you? Because not only are you do you account for eighty percent of all Twitter's traffic, uh, but you <laughs> you produce more content than probably anybody who you actually interview, and and that's actually just the content that the people who are listening to you know about. Like you've got a whole other job that you also do. You are the true star of humans of Twitter. We need to turn this this bad boy on you sometime. You're very generous. I, I was thinking that maybe the 100th episode could be either me interviewing myself, which is very wanky, <laughs> people submitting questions and I answer them in the same context. So I think, I think, that's, a, I think that's a great – I think that's a great idea because – it's one of those things where everyone in television knows who you are, uh, and, and but then you spend the whole time focusing on what they're doing, those narcissistic pricks, and then like the end. But then it's actually like you have so much content that you make that uh, at least give yourself give yourself an hour long audio show on the internet for God's sakes. Yeah, well, speaking of narcissistic pricks, I'm sure we can make that happen. <laughs> Nick, thank you for everything that you've shared today. It's very special. Thank you for, for sharing that. And please know that you're highly valued. This has been so great. Thank you, man. This has been really fun. Very clearly you're on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Are there any other social accounts you want to admit to? Um, no. I actually cut a lot of social media out of my life and became much happier for it. So Twitter is really the <laughs> only one that I use. I, and I do, I reply to most people who talk to me. I tend to have lots of conversations on Twitter. So Twitter is, is the main one. Other than that, it's just good game on YouTube. Um, but, uh, but they don't need any more promotion. They're an ABC show. Uh, yeah, other, other than Twitter, that's it. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Nick Boy is indeed human. Confirmed.